Amen. Good morning. Open your Bibles. Let's go. Open your Bibles or your favorite Bible app, whatever it is, but get to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We've been doing kind of a trilogy of sermons in this section of Luke that uh, Ryan has kicked us off on. It's a great section in chapter 8 of kind of a trilogy of Christ and all of his authority. And we've seen his authority over the wind and the waves and everything in the nature. Nature has to obey him. We've seen his authority last week as we uh, explored the story of the, of the man afflicted with a legion of demons, not just one, but demonic affliction by a legion. And Christ uh, takes care of them and uh, also does a little... Uh, impact on the bacon industry at the same time. Remember that story? Yeah, last week. But today we're going to look at Christ and his authority over what I like to call my ultimate fear, at least in my life, the ultimate enemy and the greatest fear that I think most people face. You know, of all the different fears that we face, the one that is most global, most universal, in a lot of ways the most mysterious is this thing we often don't like to talk about. And that's the fear of death. We don't like to talk about death a lot. But the fact of the matter is we live with the reality of death every single day of our life. Even though it's all around us, even though that it's the expected natural conclusion to life. You know, um, even though we know that eventually everyone who lives dies. We still keep not talking about it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to mention it. Uh, We keep hoping in some way that, well, maybe I'm the exception. You know, and unless Christ returns, which could be, but unless Christ returns, I, I did do a little research, jumped on the internet and researched you know, because things are changing today, right? I mean, compared to when I was a kid, those being born today are born into a whole different world. You know, I mean, there's advances in medical science. I just watched my mother-in-law this past week at age 83, 84, 85. I'll go with 84 since my wife is holding up four right now, okay. <laughs> The point is, she's really old, yeah, you know, and, and we were just, uh, two weeks ago, Becky and I were there, and she, you know, she had a bum knee, and the bum knee was getting where she couldn't walk, so, you know, now she has a titanium knee. Yeah, she's got a new knee. So, you know, we can replace body parts that are wearing out, and, and we got new medicines, and they're breaking the DNA and the genetic code and learning new creative ways to treat disease, so I thought, you know, what is the mortality rate running now, because it has to be getting better. What percentage of people are expected to die? And you know what I found? Mortality rate for millennials or for my generation is actually exactly the same. What is it? It's 100%. You hate to break the bad news to you young guys on front thinking, man, I hope I never lose my hair like this guy, right? Okay, you know, I used to have hair like you. Would you stand up right now? This was me in high school. Look at that, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I had his pecs, but I had his hair. Yeah, you know, but the reality is we we are decaying. Our bodies are wearing out. If you are aging, it's your reality. It's your reality. No matter what you can do, no matter what treatments you take, what supplements you take, 
Someday we die. These bodies, as designed right now on planet Earth, wear out. You need to know that today, if there's anything different about my sermon, today I'm doing primarily a left-handed sermon. Okay, so if you're used to a right-handed sermon, this is a left-handed sermon. You know why? Because I can't lift my right shoulder any higher than this. Yeah, because yesterday I'm playing with six grandkids in the pool. Six grandkids. Now, see, I've got a tradition with my grandkids. It goes back to when I had my own children. My specialty in the pool is I get them on my shoulders and I go underwater and I stand up and I walk all around the pool with them on my shoulders and see how long they can go until they fall off, you know. And, uh, you know, and the parents are always freaking out like, watch out, Dale, stay away from the edge, right? So yesterday I'm doing this and first I try to get two granddaughters up at the same time, okay. They really look cute like that. I should have brought a picture. But, you know, I've done this before, but, but I struggled to do it. And then my, my oldest grandson, who he would call himself, my best grandson amen yeah who happens to be sitting in church this morning by the way yeah so Caleb my, my oldest grandson grandson number one not that I don't love all of them equally <laughs> but anyway yeah but so so Caleb says Papa it's my turn so I said sure I've done this my whole life I've done it I did it with his mother I've done it you know, I've done it with my whole life so I get under Caleb and I go to pick him up on my shoulder and all of a sudden I just feel something go Ick! and all of a sudden I had this shooting pain in my right shoulder, and I dumped him in the water. I said, Caleb, we're done for today, man. In other words, I don't care what age you are. I'm 64, and my body is wearing out. But you can be 44, 24, or in a story we're going to look at in a little bit, you can be 12, and you can be facing death. See, that's the nature of the life we live in. We don't like to talk about death, but it is the ultimate enemy. And for many of us, it's our greatest fear. We don't want to die. Some of you have been through this. You've faced losing loved ones. You've faced losing children. I think the greatest fear that most of us as parents have is not even so much that I get old and die. I kind of expect that, right? But there's never been a man or woman born that expected to bury their children or their grandchildren. Not supposed to work that way. A few years ago, Becky and I got a phone call that, by coincidence, the very grandson, he gave me permission to share this story today. Um, not that I wouldn't have done it anyway, but anyway. <laughs> it's always best to get your wife's permission or your children's permission before you talk about them and uh, but we got a phone call that Caleb was sick and the doctor couldn't figure out what was going on and next thing we know we, we were finding he's being taken down to Rady's now I thank God for Rady's hospital let me tell you but you don't want to have to go there but he had something serious and mysterious and it was it was attacking his immune system and his body was fighting against itself and and, and that by the time we saw him we his lips were all swollen up and what was happening the very short version is he had a very rare syndrome uh, called Stevens Johnson syndrome right Caleb in which it attacked his the flesh and the fleshy part of his lips began to fall off and then it spread into his mouth and then it spread down his throat where he couldn't eat and he, next thing you know he's in He's in isolation being fed through a tube. And he's a second grader back then. Right? 
Now, that scares you. And the doctors were puzzled. It could be this, 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 and this. They weren't sure, so they start treating for everything. And again, by God's grace, Caleb's here today, so this story has a good end. And Caleb has new lips. Right, Caleb? Yeah, I'd tell him, wait till the girls discover that. But anyway, <laughs> so Caleb has new lips, you know. Not interested in the girls yet. Maybe. Anyway. But that scares you because we all fear death, and especially when it seems out of our control. Today, the story we're going to read in the Scriptures is about a man a man of prestige and respected in the community, a leader in his church, his synagogue, a man who had some degree of probably wealth and prestige, but a man who had a 12-year-old daughter, his only 12, his only daughter. And she was sick, and he had tried every other treatment he could purchase and buy, and nothing was working, and she was dying and he decides to come to Jesus. And we're going to study the story. And then we're going to go from the story, which is the story of this desperate dad, who like Caleb's dad would say, I'll go anywhere to get some help. And if this guy Jesus is coming through town and, and he's been known to be able to heal people, I'm going to find him and I'm going to bring him to my house because I don't want my daughter to die. It's a desperate dad. And then we're going to bump into a, a desperate woman that Casey talked about already. And, and then we're going to see all that we learn from the story. But then we're going to break down the theology behind the story. And I want to take you quickly into a, a quick overview of where does this thing called death come from? You know, we think, well, it's always been here, right? You'll be surprised to learn it wasn't the way God created it. We weren't created initially by God as human beings to get sick and die. That wasn't God's plan, but yet it is now. Where does it come from? How did Jesus go to the root of the problem and cut it off at the roots? And how did he conquer sin and death? And then what's the implication for us? So the story first, the lesson second. Got it? Here we go. Look at the story with me first. Pick it up. Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse 40. And as Jesus returned, now remember right there, stop right there, last week, Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee to the eastern side, uh, not the Jewish side, but, but the non-Jewish side, to Decapolis, and, 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 and had done his, his, his miracles there. And Jesus now was returning back to uh, the other side of the lake, and, and, the, and the crowd has been waiting on him. And it says this, And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed, welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man na named Jairus, and he was the official of the synagogue. The word official actually could be translated ruler. He was the leader. And he fell at Jesus' feet. Now this is a humble guy. He is on his face. He fell at Jesus' feet and began to beg him, implore him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But Jesus went, and the crowds were pressing against him. So Jesus has compassion on this man, this pleading, desperate dad. And I've given you an outline. If you want to take some notes, it will help you 
to follow with me, so don't overlook that. It's always inserted in your bulletin. But this pleading, desperate dad, Jesus has a heart for him. He hurts for him. And, and, and in spite of the fact he has a whole crowd waiting to hear his next message, his next sermon, Jesus says, all right, let's go. And he goes through the crowd. He's having to press his way through this large crowd. But he's going to go and see this daughter of this man, 12 years old, who is dying. She didn't have a Rady's Hospital. To go to verse 43 and as jesus is pressing through the crowd to try to help this man he bumps into what i call in your outline the bleeding desperate woman verse 43 and a woman who had a hemorrhage uh, most likely a, you know a, a vaginal bleeding uh, hemorrhage and she had had this condition that nonstop for 12 years. And as Casey really set me up, I appreciate, where's Casey? Is she in here? I think, oh yeah, thank you. In fact, second service, do exactly what you did first service because you told this story better than me. Yeah. So, you know, as Casey mentioned earlier, this woman is, is sick. She's been sick for 12 years. She's been having to be isolated. She is viewed as unclean. Everything Casey was saying to you, she, she had been viewed as unclean and isolated. She wasn't allowed to, to worship in the temple when you're in that condition. So this is a desperate woman. And, and I love the fact that Mark chapter 5, which has the same story, and if you do the daily encounters this week, which we always encourage you to do, they're printed on the back of the outline, and they're online, we'll email them to you, you'll go to Mark 5 with me to study both versions. But let me just tell you that a couple of the things in Mark 5, here's two of the quotes. It says this, I'll put it on the screen. She had endured much at the hands of many doctors. Now, how many of us have ever felt that way? Uh, at hurt, left hand, okay, yeah. Yeah. How many of you have ever felt like, okay, I have endured much at the hands of many doctors? Now, my brother's a surgeon, okay, but so he's, I, I like doctors, I appreciate doctors. But when you keep going from doctor to doctor, and all they do is bill you, but they can't solve the problem. That was her situation. She spent all that she had, it says, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. So she spent her hard-earned or inherited fortune on doctor after doctor after doctor 12 years. And she's still sick. In fact, she's getting worse. She's getting weak. At this point, she would undoubtedly be anemic and weak and hurting. And somewhat hopeless. But Mark 5 tells us something else about this woman. It's in verse 28 in Mark. It says that, but believing that if I just touch his garment, I will be healed. It could be translated, I will be saved. She said, if I can just touch his garment. She had heard about Jesus, never met him. She had heard of his miracles, perhaps never seen one. But she had come to believe. She was a woman who whose faith was strong enough that she said, you know, some, I, may never, I may not be able to get close enough to get an audience with him or talk to him, but if I can just touch his garment, I think that alone would heal me. So with her faith, believing that Jesus could do this, she positions herself in the crowd. Again, Mark 5 gives a little more color and detail. Mark 5 says that she actually came from behind, 
probably so that nobody would recognize her, she comes in from behind Jesus and reaches out and touches his garment. Perhaps the tassel at the bottom. We're not sure exactly what she touched, but she touches the garment of Jesus Christ. And then look what happens next. It says this. If I can find my place, here it goes. It says, and when the woman saw that she had not... Oh, excuse me, back up. Jesus says in verse 45 that after the woman came from behind him, touched the fringe of his cloak or his garment, his outer garment, immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who's, who's the one who touched me? And while they were all denied, I didn't touch you, I didn't touch you. Peter, I love the fact Peter always has an opinion. He says, Master, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the people are crowding and pressing on you. In other words, to translate, Peter, Jesus, Peter's telling Jesus, Jesus, that's a dumb question. It's really what he's saying. Jesus, everyone's touching you. What do you mean who touched you? I mean, you're, you're fighting your way through the crowd. You're being touched by all kinds of people. But Jesus corrects him, and Jesus says this. He says, but Jesus said, no, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. Now, you're talking about evidence that Jesus is not a mere man. He's not just a great moral teacher. Jesus is God. It's one of the repeated themes we're learning. He has authority over all nature, over, over all demonic supernatural realms. And here, he even understands when all of a sudden he can sense that the power that he has as almighty God in human flesh, as the God-man, that he, he could sense that something had happened. It's kind of a wild story, isn't it? I don't know how he does that, but he's God. He does a lot of things I don't understand. Someone did touch me. I was aware of the power that had gone out. Verse 47, And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, My daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Wow. So Jesus, without even any, quote, intentionality, is touched by this woman. He not only knows he's been touched, but by the way, don't miss, he also even knew her heart. He could read her mind. He knew that she had touched him in faith, not just in some desperate effort to grab the robe. He knew that her heart, he sees our hearts. Jesus understands what's going on on the inside of us. And seeing her heart, knowing her heart. Wow. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So as God, he knew everything that was going on. But about that time, the man from the synagogue whose daughter is dying, what's good news for this woman that Jesus stops and deals with her, but all of a sudden that delay, that distraction uh, becomes deadly. Pick up the story. It says, and while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter's died. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter's died. It's too late. When Jesus 
heard this. He looks at the man, he says, don't be afraid. Do not fear, don't be afraid, only believe. She will be made well. Put yourself in the shoes of that guy. Your daughter's died. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Believe. And she, she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James. And by the way, we don't have time to dwell on this, but just make note. Uh, there's three times that Jesus pulls away from all of his disciples to experience something very special. This is the first of those three times. All three times Jesus takes the same three disciples. It's just a great little short lesson on how God wants us to spend our lives. Jesus invested more deeply in Peter, James, and John than he did the other nine. And it's just a great model for discipleship that God wants us to say, is there someone in your life that you're investing in a little more deeply than anybody else? Jesus modeled that. He had intentionality in his relationships. Just, just make note of that. Jesus was intentional in his relationships because he had a mission to accomplish. He was going to launch a movement that would go global that we're a part of today. And to do that, he knew that these three would be key. So he takes them. He says, Peter, James, John, come with me. And he says, oh, yeah, mom and dad. And he lets the mom and dad, Peter, James, and John, just the five of them, go in. And here's what happens. He came to the house. He didn't allow anyone else to go but Peter, James, John, the girl's father and mother. Now, they were all the people, the, the mourners were weeping and lamenting for her. The wailing, the lamenting, the weeping. But Jesus says to them, stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at Jesus, knowing that, yeah, she has died. I mean, she was, she was there's no doubt. You know when someone who was alive and has died, and now this has been a number of minutes or hours uh, in the meantime until they've arrived at the house, and there's no doubt she's dead. So much so that they laugh at Jesus, and Jesus says, no, she's not dead, she's asleep. Now, don't, be, don't misunderstand that Jesus is telling them, ah, you don't understand, she's just kind of in a deep sleep or a coma. No, no, no. The phrase, she sleeps, is a common phrase that is used to refer to a believer who has died, but yet will be resurrected anticipating their resurrection. It's used in uh, 1 Thessalonians to refer to those over the years who have died in faith, who have slept in faith. And so Jesus knows that she is dead, but he says, no, 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 she's not dead, she's asleep. And then Jesus says this, and they began laughing at Jesus, knowing she had died. Verse 54, he, however, took her by the hand and called, child, arise. And her spirit returned. By the way, that's the proof that she really had died. Her spirit had left her body. But her spirit returned at the command of Jesus for her to arise, and she got up immediately. And he gave orders 
Get the girl something to eat. I love how practical Jesus is. Hey, you know what I mean? He's just resurrected this girl from the dead. His first thing is not say, hey, look at me. Someone please feed the girl, okay? I mean, she's been sick so long, she slowly died. She is one hungry girl. She's ready to eat, you know? So there you go. So Jesus says, get her something to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. I loved last week when Ryan explained why the difference. Remember last week, the demoniac is healed and Jesus says, go to your hometown and tell everybody about Jesus. And in this case, he says, don't tell anybody yet about what you just saw. Now, everyone knows she was dead and she's resurrected, but Jesus tells them, don't go out proclaiming this. You know, and the difference, which uh, I appreciated from last week's message, was the fact that in one case, he's on the Gentile side of the, of the lake where they don't have this messianic dream of a messianic king who would come and, and throw the Romans out and do all that stuff. You know, he, he, was, he was in the world of other gods, the worship of Pan and other gods. And in that case, he says, go ahead and start telling people about me, okay? Because I'm going to come back, by the way, and feed about 4,000 of you. So now, though, he, he, uh, he says, as he does several times in the Gospels, when he's in that Jewish context, he, he knows now is not the time to get the Messianic hysteria hyped up. I've got discipleship to accomplish. I've got things to do that I'm in control of the timing. I've got to go to a cross and die for your sins and be resurrected. So Jesus, now in the Jewish context, says, don't tell anybody. The death and resurrection by Jesus. A distraction of a woman with a 12-year hemorrhage. A desperate dad. And then Jesus resurrects the daughter. Heals the woman. What are the lessons that I think God wants us to pull out of this? I'm going to hit these quickly, and you can go into them in more depth whenever you go into your uh, encounters with God. Number one, how does Jesus conquer our ultimate enemy? It's basically because Jesus does three things. The roots of sin and disease, of, of disease and death, is sin. The, roots of the, the root of the problem is our sin. Mankind was created sinless before God as an eternal being uh, made in the image of God. Uh, Adam and Eve, if they'd never sinned, would still be living. But we know that they sinned, and all of humanity since that time has sinned. That's why if you look at some of the verses I've given you in Romans, you'll get the theology behind the event, because if you don't understand that, then this is just a a great story, but you just kind of go, well, I hope it's true for me. The reason it's true is that Jesus could conquer death even because Jesus knew that as God he could conquer sin. Therefore, verse 12, uh, Romans 5, 12, just as through one man, that is Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because we've all sinned. We're all guilty. It's not just Adam, we're all guilty. Romans 6, 23, I've given you these outline, in the outline, I've given you these references, says the wages or penalty for sin is death. Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. He died on the cross for your sin and my sin. 
He is the sinless Son of God, was the sacrifice for all of our sin, and He died for sin, solving the problem. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there's now no condemnation, no penalty for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have placed your faith in Christ, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. That's the new law. You've put your faith in Christ, you are alive, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is you sin, you, somebody's got to die. See, Jesus went to the root of the problem. Jesus died for our sins, therefore destroying death at its roots. Therefore, the world we live in today, here's my summary, is therefore as, as believers who have trusted Christ, our spirit is alive, although our body still suffers and dies. Yet one day, because of Christ, even our bodies will be resurrected. Look up Romans chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. You'll see it there. That's the story. Now, you say, but Dale, why does God go ahead and give life to our spirit? but yet our bodies are still allowed to suffer the effects of sin, which is disease and death eventually. Why does he do that? Well, it's because he's God, and I'm not. It's hard to understand why he does that. I can imagine or speculate. I mean, think about it. What if as soon as you became a Christian, suddenly you lived forever and your body quit, quit aging? Now, this would be a pretty strange planet, wouldn't it? And people would want to come to Christ, but for the totally wrong motive. They wouldn't be coming to God to worship Him out of love and appreciation of His grace. They want the magic cure, right? You know, so there, there's a number of reasons why I think God in His infinite wisdom allows us to still suffer as His children. I'll deal with that again in just a little bit. But this is God's plan. He still allows us to suffer. Therefore, how does this story confront our greatest fear that I started out with? And I just want to look at the story itself because the two key words, I'm going to give you three, but the two are this. Number one, believe, which is the call to faith and eternal life. Jesus says in both cases, to the woman who's healed, he says, your faith, has made you whole. Go in peace. Jesus does the healing, but she had the faith. God calls us, likewise, to trust in Him, put our faith in Him, and we will be healed. We'll have eternal life. We'll have all the blessings of the gospel, but only if we come to Him in humble faith, like this woman did. He said to the man, look, don't fear, only believe. The emphasis is on Where's your faith? And we need to ask ourselves that question today. Where is our faith? Number two, he says to the man, fear not. Now this man is going through the death of a daughter, his only daughter. And Jesus says, don't fear, only believe. And I think when we go through whatever we go through in life, we have to come back to the same question. Jesus says, do not fear, trust me. Do not fear, believe in me, trust me. 
life on planet Earth is still a painful place. In fact, what I want to do, and I told our PowerPoint people, I want to jump to the very end of the sermon, and then I'll conclude after that. But at the end of the sermon, I put a little section called The Hard Question. And, And it's, why not me, why not now? Why not me, why not now? You know, God, why not me? Why not now? I mean, this is the same Jesus, and, and, and if I have faith and the woman had faith, uh, you know, why can't I reach out and touch Jesus? Why can't I pray to Jesus and I will be healed? Why does Jesus sometimes, and by the way, sometimes he does. We need to have faith to know that Christ is able to heal and do the miraculous. Miracles still happen today. But I will tell you that miracles are not the norm today. They were not the norm even at the time of Christ. If you looked at everyone in and around the life of Jesus Christ, he did not heal everyone in the nation. There were still people getting sick and dying. There were still funerals going on. Why not me? Why not now? So I gave you my summary in a box on the bottom of your outline because... Not having time to go into it this morning, I wanted you to at least know the answer. As I look at the scriptures, here's what I discover. For now, God leaves us, his children, the body of Christ, in a world of pain. From my observation, Christians, apart from self-inflicted diseases, like if you smoke, you get lung cancer, okay? I think Christians suffer pretty much the same way non-Christians do, from random events in nature and disease and death and we get sick the same way the rest of the world gets sick it's a sick world that we live in and we live in decaying fallen bodies that are so susceptible to all of that and here's what i think's going on god leaves us as his children or the body of christ in a world of pain in order to strengthen our faith it teaches us to trust him to focus our hope not in this world but where it ought to be focused, which is eternity and with him. And thirdly, especially to demonstrate through us his love to this world in pain. He leaves us in a world of pain as his children so that we can be effective at ministering to a pain-inflicted, pain-filled world. And we only have credibility because we can show the world that with Christ, he will walk through the pain with us. And he'll walk through the pain with them. And he promises an eternity, underline that, an eternity pain-free in the future. That's awesome. That's what's going on. So this week, uh, before we move into our communion time, Do you know that your sins have been paid for and that you have the promise of eternal life? If so, believe, fear not, and then share that good news with others because you have the cure to the most deadly disease that humanity faces, sin and death. So speak up and share the cure with others. If you had the cure to the most deadly disease on the planet, would you just say, hey, isn't it cool that I know this? And I want to tell it to a few of my inner circle friends, but I'm not going to tell anybody else. I want to hold it. You know, you wouldn't do that. You'd want to broadcast it. 
That's the good news of the gospel. This past week, sin and death is always in the news. This past week, I couldn't help but the contrast. Kate Spade, at age 55, apparently takes her own life because she gives up. In spite of an incredible fortune, incredible success in her field of fashion, it's tragic. I hurt for her. Pray for her family. And then a couple of days later, at age 61, Anthony uh, Bourdain, uh, who has all the money he could ever want, travels the world, the ultimate chef, right? Takes his life, apparently, without hope. In contrast, the first time I actually saw a person die uh, was my grandmother. She was born, um, she married a coal miner, grew up in West Virginia, grew up in Kentucky, moved to West Virginia, lived on a family farm that her husband worked hard and saved money to buy a little family farm where they grew all their own food and everything. She had 10 kids. She knew the pain of losing one. She lost one of her children at age 33. She saw all 10 or all 10 of her kids come to faith in Christ. She raised most of what she ate. I was with her in the hospital. Uh, I flew in because I heard that she probably wasn't wouldn't going to survive. She'd had surgery. They had amputated her leg because of diabetes. She had heart trouble. She had lived a long life. She had faith in Christ. The very last conversation that I had with her was we prayed with her. She ordered my father to take us to her home where she had left some food prepared in the refrigerator in case anybody dropped into town. She didn't want anybody going to a restaurant. That was her servant spirit. And even in her old age, she ordered my dad around, which was interesting. But after ordering my dad to make sure that this young couple, Dale and Becky, don't go to some restaurant, she'd already provided for us a meal. She was in great pain following her surgery. In the midst of just laying there almost asleep, suddenly she literally just kind of woke up. Her eyes got brighter than I ever saw them. She looked right up at the ceiling. I can't tell you what she saw, but she said one word. She said, Jesus. She said it three times staring at the ceiling. And her heart stopped. And her spirit left her body. So who's the success in life? She never owned a designer purse. She can make better biscuits and gravy than Anthony could have ever made. <laughs> I had to slip that in. But she wasn't a gourmet chef. She didn't have her own TV show. But she worked hard, lived with joy, worshiped Jesus Christ, 
raised 10 kids who all 10 came to faith. Men and women, that is life. And today she's healthy and whole. Where are you? Father, thank you for what you've done to provide life for us. Thank you for the life you give us freely through our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that you did on the cross, your resurrection, to prove that you are the resurrection and the life, Lord Jesus. That you have conquered sin, you have conquered death, and you offer us life eternal and life with meaning here on the planet. How good is that? So, Father, if we have any friends who have not placed that faith in Christ, I would invite them this morning to pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, I do want to place my faith in you, not myself. I place my trust in you and all that you did to die for my sins. And give me life. Give me life to live for the glory of God now and to enjoy forever someday. I invite you to be my Savior. And Father, as we move now into a time of communion, uh, we, we, uh, we recognize that this is a time for us to individually remember what you have done for us. Thank you that the bread represents the body of Christ sacrificed for us. The blood, the cup represents the blood of Christ spilled out for us. So use these next few moments for us, each one, to reflect, to confess our sin if there's anything lingering in our lives, to thank you for your grace. You, as we go and partake together, in Christ's name, amen. In case you are new, let me just... Uh, welcome you that if you are a person who's come to faith in Christ, you are welcome to join us in communion uh, here at Seacoast. Today we'll, in, we'll partake of that individually as we approach one of the tables around the room. There's four tables. There's no rush. Take a few minutes to pray and prepare your own heart and then feel free to slip to the table, take the bread, take the cup, And with a friend or alone with the Lord, eat and drink in remembrance of Christ.